0: And uh, while you're turning there, I want to pray uh, for the message this morning. Father, as we come to you today, again, we thank you for your holy word. Today we're going to be talking about sin. There's no other way to say it, but then we're going to be talking about issues that, Lord, that have called for your uh, judgment upon the earth in times past and that speak very powerfully even to our present situation today. There is truth here, and yet we speak that truth in love because of your mercy and your grace. There is forgiveness in Christ. And uh, today we're not going to look at any, you know, one particular sin and focus on just that, but you address all of our sins, Lord. We are all sinners who need your grace and mercy and so I pray that that message comes through today, that there is hope in the name of Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness, and there is love. And we ask that in your name. Amen. For two months in the spring of, uh, spring of 1980, uh, Mount St. Helens was showing signs that it was going to be erupting sometime soon. Nobody knew the exact time but seismologists were watching the monitors and they could see the ground literally moving beneath their feet. Mount St. Helens was erupting great plumes of steam into the air and ash that was billowing out. And so a warning was given. The state police and the park rangers all went around to evacuate all of the parks in that area, all of the campgrounds, all of the hiking trails, all of the villages that were within range of Mount St. Helens. The warning was given, the time to leave is now. And great, great streams of people began to leave that area, literally fleeing for their lives. Everyone, that is except a man named Harry Truman. Not the president, but old Harry Truman, who was the caretaker of a recreation lodge on Spirit Lake about five miles away from the summit of the mountain. The rangers warned Harry of the coming blast. Neighbors begged him to join them in their exodus. Even Harry's sister called to talk some sense into the old man's head. But Harry ignored the warnings. From his picture postcard place, he had a beautiful spot on a lake there that reflected the snow-capped peak he wasn't about to leave. Harry even stood on and grinned on national television and said that nobody knows more about this mountain than Harry, and it don't dare blow up on him. But on May 18, 1980, at 8.31 a.m., Mount St. Helens erupted with a force that was 500 times greater than the nuclear bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. Did Harry regret his decision in the seconds that preceded that blast? We'll never know. We'll never know. But one thing is for certain, it is folly to hear the warning and do nothing. It is folly to hear the warning and do nothing. Listen to the warning. That's what this passage is about that we're going to be looking at today. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah is a warning to every generation of the judgment that is to come. It shows us the depth of man's sin. It shows us the mercy of God. And it also shows us the judgment of God. And that's what we'll be looking at this morning. We're going to walk through the passage. I'll make some comments as we go along, but I want to point out some things that are present in this text. The first thing we see in this passage in Genesis is the awfulness of sin. We see that in verses 1 to 9. Let me read it for us. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. "'My lords,' he said, "'please turn aside to your servant's house.' You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do to them what you like. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied, and they said, This fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. And they kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. We'll stop there. There are two passages of Scripture that are hard for me to read. And when I think about preaching on them, this is one of those tough passages. Genesis 19 and Judges 19 both describe man's sin in such a depraved way. James Boyce, one of the commentators and a pastor uh, for a number of years in Philadelphia, said that some of the older commentators actually called this chapter unpreachable. unpreachable, Because the kinds of things that are described here shouldn't be talked about in polite company. But James Boyce rightly asked the question then, why did God include this story in the Bible? Why is this passage of Scripture here? And I believe it is here to show us the depth of man's sin and God's justice in his judgment. The Bible doesn't clean things up. It describes things as they are. And it describes the condition of man's heart and his actions, and we see that clearly here. The two angels arrived at Sodom, and here these uh, individuals, you know, that were described as the men who came to Abram are now called angels. It is what we believed all along. And Lot is sitting in the gateway of the city. That means that he has become a leader or an elder in the city. The gateway of the city was where the officials would sit or those who were judges or those who would decide cases and matters. Between individuals would sit in the gate of the city. And so Lot has been there long enough to now become a respected person in this city. He's gotten involved in its life. And when Lot saw the strangers, he invited them to spend the night at his home. A no, they replied. They had come to see what the city was like. Remember, they came to see if the wickedness of this city was as great as had been described and had come before the Lord. Lot knew what the city was like, and he insisted that they come to his house. It would not be safe for them to sleep in the square. But before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city, do you catch that? What the writer of Scriptures is showing us here is how pervasive this sin was. All the men from every part of the city, both young and old, came and surrounded the house. They had done this before. How many times? Only God knows. When I think of these cities, when archaeologists said that they existed from the time of about 3300 B.C. to 2100 B.C., that's 1,200 years that people were living on the plain. And only God knows how long this wickedness had persisted in that area and how much time had been given. The men called out to Lot and they said, Bring these men out so that we can have sex with them. There is no mistaking what they wanted to do. Homosexual sex was openly practiced. And yet in the scripture we read very clearly in Leviticus 18.22 that it is detestable to God. I say that because starting around the year 1955, There was an author and there was a book that was written that was an attempt to redefine the sin of Sodom and say that it was a lack of hospitality. That what was really here was that these uh, men were not being good hosts or were ill-treating their guests, and so the sin was the sin of hospitality, not homosexuality. But that's not what is described here. If you gave this passage to anyone who did not know the story and asked them to read it and say what is described here, the message would be pretty clear. But it is also true that Sodom and Gomorrah were guilty of other sins. Isaiah and Jeremiah both described their lying, the adultery, the gross iniquity that took place. But the clearest passage of all was in the book of Ezekiel, where in Ezekiel it says, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. We began to see that here was a city that was known for its iniquity in other areas as well. Arrogant, proud, greedy, gluttonous, unconcerned, materialistic. They did not help the poor and needy. I read that verse and I think about our country and I think of all that we have been given. And I wonder are there times when we are guilty of pride and overconsumption and unconcern about those who are the least of these in our world? It's an honest question to ask, it's a sober question to ask. But when we come to this passage, what is equally shocking is the behavior of Lot, who on the one side confronts these men and says, Don't do this wicked thing. And then he proceeds to offer his daughters to them and says, Do to them whatever you would like. And Lot is the believer in this story. Lot is an example, though, of someone who the New Testament would describe as a carnal believer, someone who has become so much a part of the world around him that he doesn't even see his own sin. And when you look at his life, you see very little difference between Lot, who is supposed to be a believer, and the actions of unbelievers. Lot was not walking with God, and his actions here are appalling. The men, though, are offended by His judgment. In verse 9 we see that where they talk about this man Lot who was a stranger who came to our city. You know, Weren't you an alien and now you want to be a judge of us? You're going to condemn us for what we want to do? Who are you? Who are you to tell me what is right and wrong? Who are you to tell me that this is sin? Isn't that true of our world? I mean, whenever we talk about these kinds of things today, I mean, there is this strong movement in our world today to want to say that homosexual sin is normal, that it's right, that it's just another way of living, another choice that people can make. Don't tell me that's wrong. We have people who will say, don't tell me abortion is wrong. Don't tell me pornography is wrong. I have my rights. I have my freedom to choose what I want to do. And who are you to judge? And you know it is true, if we get away from the Bible and God's Word is our standard and everything is up for grabs, then who are you to judge and say what's right and wrong? But what the Bible describes so clearly is when we go that way or when a nation or a people go that way where everyone does what they think is right in their own eyes and everything's supposed to be acceptable, we end up like the book of Judges in a very vile and ungodly world. Sin is sin. But I think it's also important for us to say here that God is not just talking about one sin here. As we go through this text and as we see what was said there in the book of Ezekiel about Sodom, God is speaking of all of our sins. God expects moral purity of all of us. And that's why the Word of God tells us that premarital sex or adultery or pornography or homosexual sex or greed or idolatry, all of those are out of bounds. And I think that needs to be heard. That needs to be heard. And in the same way, so many times those who feel an inclination in this area feel like the church has just condemned them and offered no hope. And that is not true either. There is forgiveness. But there is also this call to moral purity in every area of our life. What we see in this story of Sodom and Gomorrah also, though, is the mercy of God in verses 10 to 22. Let me continue reading the story. It said, But the men reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. And then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that He has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. And he said, Hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy this city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. And when he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? And then my life will be spared. And he said to him, Very well, I will grant this request to you. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zor, or small. The mercy of God. The man that Lot wanted to protect now rescued him. And they tell Lot why they have come. They have come to destroy this city because of its sin. They ask Lot, do you have anyone else here that you need to speak to or warn of this judgment that is about to come? And so Lot goes to his sons-in-law and he gives them this warning and when they hear them, they thought that he was joking. They didn't believe him. So ineffective had his witness been. You know, when I read that, I think of the event that occurred on March, uh, excuse me on May twenty first of this year, when Harold Camping predicted the end of the world. Now we know that the Bible tells us that there is a day coming when Jesus Christ is going to return, and this present world is going to come to an end as we know it, and there is a judgment to come. But we also know from the Scripture, Jesus Himself said that no one knows the day nor the hour. And so, why do people continue to persist to set dates? When the scripture says, we just don't know, we are always to watch and to be ready. And so, even though we did not agree with Harold Camping setting this date of May 21st as the deadline, and now again October 21st, what bothered me most... And the news about that event was the response of unbelievers who mocked the coming of Christ. There were stories in the paper of bars and places that had blasphemy parties the night before. And you could get a free drink if you would blaspheme the Holy Spirit. If you would utter that kind of curse or profanity against the Holy Spirit... It's like, you could come on in, the party's going to go on, and we'll give you free drinks. You know what that tells me is they know the Scripture in the Gospel where Jesus speaks about that. And yet they defied it and mocked it. And basically that's what was going on here in this city. That had seen the hand of God dramatically rescue them through the life of Abraham. They had had this witness. They had heard the testimony of Melchizedek. And they rejected all of it. And God in His Word says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. The one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We reap what we sow. The angels urged Lot to leave, and when he hesitated, they literally grabbed his hand and the hands of his wife and his daughters and led them out of the city. They warned them, don't look back, don't stop on the plane. But Lot's hesitancy shows up again when he asks if he could turn aside to Zor, this small little town, just this small thing, this little thing. Lot still wants a peace. Sodom. You can take Lot out of the city of Sodom, but it's a harder thing to take Sodom out of the heart. You see, even for the believer, it can be hard to let go of our sin. The world looks so good. Its temptations, what it offers, can look so good. And we can think in our own mind and rationalize our sin and say, Well, Lord, it's just a small thing. Just a small thing. Whether it is our greed or our lust or our drunkenness or our gambling or our indifference to the needs of others, we can rationalize our sin. And the scripture comes along and it says, Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in it. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world and its lusts are passing away, but the one who does the will of God will abide forever. The Lord granted Lot his request to turn aside. That doesn't mean that God approved. He lets us make our choices, but as we shall see, our choices have consequences. And thirdly, what we see is the judgment of God in verses 23 to 29. He said to him, Very well, I will grant this request to you. I will not overthrow the town that you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. And then in verse 23, he said, By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land, and then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. And thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities, and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So God, so when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. And he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. It is a very poignant picture of the judgment of God. The fire of God fell. Some speculate that what may have happened may have been an earthquake that released the underground gases that ignited in a giant fireball. However it happened, the Bible wants us to know that it was by the hand of God and it was because of man's sin. Lot's wife looked back. She tarried on the plane and was overcome by this disaster. And Abraham gets up, and we see this poignant picture where he returns to where he had stood before the Lord, interceding for Lot, interceding for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham now stands in somber silence. He says nothing, but he knows what has happened. He doesn't know what has happened to Lot, though, at this point. God makes a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. God knows how to rescue the righteous in the day of disaster. But I want to say this and make this very clear. The righteous are not perfect or sinless. The righteous are those who have placed their faith in God and in His covenant. The wicked are those who have rejected God in His offer of salvation. Both the righteous and the wicked are sinners. Both deserve God's wrath. And it is only by grace that we are saved. And some believers are like Abraham, who walked with God and grew in faith in spite of his stumbling. And some believers, sadly, are like Lot. They believe in Christ, but they are so attached to this world that they never really grow, they never really change. And when they get to heaven, they will be like those who have escaped through the flames, what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 3.15. Fourthly, I want to point out in the end of this chapter, the sin of Sodom continues, verses thirty. The 38. Lot and his two daughters left Zor and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zor. Interesting, he had asked to stay in this small place, and now he is afraid. And he and his two daughters lived in a cave. How far away from God they had moved. And one day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man around here to lie with us, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then lie with him and preserve our family line through our father. And that night they got their father to drink wine and the older daughter went in and lay with him. And he was not aware of it and when she lay down or when she got up. And the next day the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I lay with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight and you go in and lie with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went and lay with him. And again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He's the father of the Moabites of today. And the younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. And he is the father of the Ammonites of today. Lot's choices, his choice to move near Sodom, to live in Sodom, to become a leader in Sodom, would have tragic consequences. His daughters, whom he had offered to the men, now get him drunk, and they become pregnant by their father. They give birth to Moab and Ammon, who will become bitter enemies of Israel. The Moabites will be known for their sexual immorality and their worship of Baal. That's the heritage that was passed on. The Ammonites will be known for child sacrifice and their worship of Molech and their offering up of children in the fire to this God. And even in the future and generations to come, even Solomon would build an altar to these foreign gods. Our choices have consequences. We can pass on a legacy of faith or a legacy of unbelief. Listen to the warning. You see, that's why I say that the passage that we are looking at here in Scripture isn't just about homosexual sin. It's about all sin, and it's about our desperate need for a Savior. That we are all sinners, and it is only by His grace that we may be saved. And again, the choices that we make today have consequences for us and for our families for generations to come. We can pass on a legacy of faith or a legacy of unbelief. Let's choose to live by faith, trusting in His Son for our salvation and trusting in His Word to guide us. Listen to the warning. Let's pray. Father as we come before you again in prayer you know our heart you know the issues that we struggle with and you know how we can feel the pull of the world just like Lot did Father would you purify our hearts and cleanse us from all sin and help us to walk with you in the power of your Holy Spirit we can't do this in our own strength and God I thank you for your mercy and your grace Apart from you and apart from what you have done for us in Christ, we would all be lost. And so, Lord, today as we close and we sing this song that speaks about your amazing grace, Father, would you just help us to marvel at the wonder of it all and to give you the praise and glory you deserve. Amen.